Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We want to examine ourselves today and encourage each other with greater zeal for the things of God and the Lord Jesus Christ and His kingdom and His word. We've had three passages read to us already this morning. Numbers chapter 25, verses 6 through 13, about Phinehas and his great zeal for the Lord. While the rest of the congregation stood there and bawled and prayed, he did something about it. He went and got a javelin and took out the fornicating couple in their tent. He made shish kebab of the sinners. And God loved him for it. God loved him for it. And God gave him an everlasting covenant of priesthood because, and listen to these words, and I hope you thought of them when the passage was read, he made an atonement for Israel. He put the nation at one again with God by killing two people. Sometimes that's what's necessary. One man on fire for the Lord preserved the nation. Because the 24,000 that died in the plague was just a little appetizer for the Lord's wrath if Phinehas had not done what he did. Sin is terrible. Sin cost God His only begotten Son. And God does not want sin in His congregation. And so Phinehas delivered them. Then we had read to a second Kings chapter 10 verses 15 through 31, about Jehu. And the lesson that we want to pick up from that is that while his zeal was great, and we admire his zeal, and we we bask in the performance of ridding Israel of Baal worship, and the creative way in which he did it, and the mighty way in which he did it, and how he did it, and how he drove his chariot furiously, and how he drove an arrow all the way through Jehoram, and how he rid the nation of Baal worshipers by lying to all of them and offering a sacrifice to Baal. We love all that. However, he did not continue in that course. He lacked integrity. And he ended up being an idolater himself. And he had killed all those people for the sin of idolatry. And it came back to bite him in his family tree four generations later where in Hosea chapter 1 and verse 4, the judgment is given that the blood of Jezreel has to be avenged upon the house of Jehu. Because while he did what pleased the Lord, and while he did it in a way of great zeal, he did not live up to what he judged himself. And he went back to the worshiping the calves that were in Bethel and Dan. So the lesson there is, if we don't have persistence and consistency perseverance in our zeal is going to come back to bite us. Then we had read to us John chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, where the Lord Jesus Christ cleansed the temple of all the money changers and those that sold. And the apostles, as they watched Him in great zeal and fury, make Himself a scourge and drive out those money changers, they remembered Psalm 69 where it was prophesied of the Lord Jesus, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. What do you get eaten up about? 
Be very careful in your answer. What do you get eaten up about? God doesn't care about the decline of this nation. God doesn't care very much about the decline of your health. God doesn't care about your financial and family problems in comparison to your love of Him and walking with Him and love of His Word. We get distracted with so many things. Let me give you a few more. God doesn't care about your career trajectory. God doesn't care about your income statement or balance sheet. God doesn't care how many dandelions are in your front yard that the neighbors can see. God doesn't care that your car hasn't been washed in four weeks and it's filthy. He cares about His house. He cares about His worship. That is first. All these other things are little tiny duties if we have time for them. As we seek God with all of our might. And so it's been said to me by another brother this morning already, the Lord Jesus Christ, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. You have a couple of houses of the Lord that your zeal should be eating you up for. One is this house, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Do you volunteer? Do you initiate? Do you leap to the opportunity of promoting the assemblies of this church? Do you leap to the opportunity of helping, encouraging, exhorting, and warning, and strengthening brethren in the faith? This is a little outpost of the kingdom of heaven. This is His house. Does, Does your zeal for it eat you up so that nothing else comes close? You don't care who wins the Super Bowl. You don't care who wins the next election. You don't care if you get that big promotion this year or not. We must put first things first. When you meet the Lord, He isn't going to care about any of those things. He's not going to talk to you about them. He's not going to honor you for caring about them. He's going to honor you for caring about His house. And the first house is this church. The second house mentioned to me by Brother Zach is this house. This house. This is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which we have in us which was given to us and we are not our own. This is no longer our house. This is His house inhabited by the Holy Ghost. Have we with zeal perfected ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God? We ought to have zeal for this house. These two holes that God put here on the side of our heads, what do they hear every day? Is it temple music? Is it temple music fit for the Holy Ghost? These two holes that he put in the front right here, what do they see? David said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Where do you, your feet carry you? What do you think about in your mind, your spirit? This is another house. So we've had three passages read to us about zeal. Phinehas' zeal atoned for the whole congregation. That is huge. Would there be in this church a man that would stand and make up the hedge and stand in the gap for this church for the Lord's blessing upon it? You know those five great men that are listed in Jeremiah 15.1 and Ezekiel 14.14 are listed there because by their righteousness and their intercession on behalf of the congregation of the Lord, they preserved many. Would there be one among us? Would there be many among us? I hope the one will not forsake us. 
because we're not as zealous as we should be. And none of us should quit until we were, until we all are as zealous as we should be. First things first, brethren. Priorities. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. It has no competitor. There should be no competition for it. And then to love your neighbor as yourself and the closest neighbors you'll ever have are in the house of God. We're at 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to trust that most or all of you read this last evening and not read it all for sure. And I don't want to read very many verses. Let's find out that David, taking some cheeses to the captain of a thousand that had his brothers involved from his father to get them some favorable treatment and asking a pledge from those brothers that they would be careful and not get themselves killed in battle, David arrives on the scene where Goliath has been coming out and challenging the armies of Israel and defying the God of Israel. And I'm going to begin at verse 23 because I love the last four words of this 23rd verse. So David's arrived on the scene where Goliath has come out daily challenging Israel. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that is come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And I'll end there in my reading. I love the last four words of verse 23, and David heard them. You know, the rest of the nation heard them as well. But see, what did it do to the rest of the nation? They ran in the other direction. They didn't have the courage. They didn't have the commitment. They didn't love the Lord. They had nothing. They didn't have faith. Saul included and Jonathan included, which is painful for me to tell you. They all ran away, and none of them were willing to run to meet Goliath and shut his ugly mouth. But David was. And when it says... And David heard them, that plural pronoun is referring to the words of Goliath defying the armies of Israel and blaspheming their God. David heard those words, and he had a response. Then he heard, see, he didn't need the reward. He didn't need his father's farm to be tax-free perpetually. 
He didn't need that. He didn't need to marry Saul's daughter. And he didn't need to be made rich. He wanted to shut the blasphemer's mouth. That's all that motivated him. But then he hears that there's this big reward offered and he can't understand why the whole army hasn't lined up to go take Goliath on. And he asks in verse 26, What shall be done? Are you kidding me? Not only should this man's mouth be shut, but he's going to have all these rewards, the man that does it. And the people said, Yep, that's what's going to happen. And then Eliab comes along and ridicules him like older brothers are prone to do to little brothers. And, uh, you know, you don't read much about Eliab in the rest of the Bible, do you? Do you know anything about Eliab? He's a loser. He was a loser. But David was a winner. And we want to be like David. And we want to say, what have I now done? Why would you talk to me that way, Eliab? All I said was, that man's mouth needs to be shut. And are you serious that there's that big of a prize for shutting his mouth? What have I now done? Why are you making fun of me? Is there not a cause? Isn't there a reason for what I said? There's actually two. Shut Goliath's mouth and take the reward home. But the big one, the first one, is what moved David. Is there not a cause? This chapter is not in the Bible by accident. To fill up space or to provide stories for children's books. This chapter is in the Bible for you and for me. David loved Israel's God and all that pertained to him and would not put up with Goliath, the Philistine dog. How much do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, really love the Lord Jesus Christ so that you hate all His enemies. Whether they have your last name, whether you're married to them, whether you work for them, wherever they might be, however popular they might be in the world, however practical it might be for you to have a relationship with them, Do you hate the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love the friends of the Lord Jesus Christ? How do you show your love for the friends of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you entertain them? Do you show them hospitality? Do you greet them, embrace them, forgive them, love them, pray for them, encourage them, comfort them? Lord, help us to love the Lord Jesus Christ and to take these Old Testament lessons and warnings and apply them to New Testament religion. That's our goal for this assembly. We have been called to a conflict in a form of worship far superior to Goliath in the Old Testament. We have a cause greater than David did. We have the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ as well. We have the New Testament church. We have the promises of a better covenant. We have a mediator that's a better mediator of this new covenant. We have so much more. Lord, help us to be zealous for your New Testament cause. Because of the perilous times of the last days, there will be few Davids, Phinehas's, Jehu's, Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul's, and Alice Driver's. For those of you who looked up Alice Driver from the update that I sent out on Friday, one of the martyrs that Brother Stephen presented to us, a review for us. There are very few because we live in the perilous times of the last days. The love of many has waxed cold because iniquity abounds. Few are sold out, red hot, on fire, pedal to the metal type Christians. Very few. And that's what the Lord loves. That's what David was and that's what Paul was. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ was. And that's what we want to be. And we want to attack our Goliaths. 
Every one of you has a Goliath. And yea, you have more than one Goliath. And it's big. And it's intimidating. And it's frightening if you stop and look at it in the flesh. But if you run upon it in the Spirit, you'll pick up five stones to go meet Goliath. Not because you're thinking that there's a probability of you missing with four of them, but because Goliath had four brothers. And so you took five stones because you were going to wipe the giants out of Philistia. Praise the Lord what confidence the boy had. What a young man. And he was a young man. He ruled Israel for 40 years, so that means he didn't take the throne till he was 70, since he died at, until he was 30, since he died at 70. Right. And this is many years before he took the throne. He was a young man. Right. Praise the Lord for such young men. Amen. Observe from the passage. If you choose to sell yourself out for the Lord Jesus Christ, you will often have to go it alone. David had to go it alone. All the men of Israel fled in the other direction. When Goliath would appear on the scene, David ran to meet Goliath. Entirely different. So he's alone. Just remember that. Does that bother you to be alone? It, it, you know, there's only one man that stands alone on the top tier of an Olympic medal presentation. Do you understand that? He's alone. He's up there by himself because there's only one first place finisher in every race, including the Christian race. As the Apostle Paul would teach us in 1 Corinthians 9 verses 24 through 27. Many run in the race, but one wins the prize. So run that ye may obtain the prize of the Lord Jesus Christ. So observe that you'll have to go it alone because even the church of God will stand still or run in the other direction just like here. This is the church of the Old Testament that ran in the other direction. These are not the Hittites and the Egyptians as I am so prone to remind you. This is the church of God. No one else wanted to be sold out for the glory of God. Second, observe. You will have opposition by those you consider brethren and friends. Like Eliab, the oldest brother of David. If there should have been someone in the armies of Israel that would have encouraged David and appreciated his zeal and have known about his private life out there keeping the sheep, it should have been his oldest brother. But instead he makes fun of him because that little brother is showing more courage, more conviction, more faith, and more desire for the glory of God than Eliab has ever even dreamed about. But notice what happens. He ridicules them. Where are those few sheep, you little boy? You little boy that are only capable of managing a few sheep out in the wilderness? Where are they? Did you turn them over to someone else because you're derelict in your duties? You're naughty. We all know that. I know that. I'm your older brother. You're here because of pride. You just want to sneak off the job and come down here and watch the battle while the real men go out and fight. And on and on it goes. I want you to understand that sentence. Eliab's tearing into him. Observe. If you want to be all out for the Lord, some that are very close to you, it could be a wife, it could be a husband, it could be a parent, it could be a child, are going to make fun of you. Observe. You will be told you are not sufficient for the task of being great for God. 
If we would have read ahead a few verses past verse 29, we would have found out that when David was brought before Saul, Saul said, you can't do it. You're but a youth. And this man, Goliath, is a champion from his youth. And so there you're told by the one in charge, those that should know what's going on, those that should appreciate zealous character, the one that should appreciate David says to him, you can't do it. Get used to it. I'm telling you what to get used to. People are going to tell you, you can't do it. You're nothing special. You're not going to please God. Listen, every single one of you in here can be like David. A child can be like David. A 12-year-old can be like David by saying, I must be about my father's business. Have you heard that recently? I must be about my father's business at 12. A widow in here with nothing left can be like David. Because I read in Luke chapter 21 that Jesus identified in four verses for 2,000 years of church history to read about a woman with only two mites left, all of her living, she put it in the treasury of the God of heaven because she knew there was a cause. She was like David. She knew there was a cause. Jesus at 12 knew there was a cause. Everyone in this assembly, man, woman, child, widow, it doesn't matter, There's a cause, and the cause is the glory of God, the exaltation of Jesus Christ, the furtherance of His gospel, and the building up of His church. And your holy life. So observe, when you look down there in verse 33, Saul says to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. He's so far beyond you in age and ability and experience, you can't do it. Observe another thing. You'll be told, and if you keep reading the next ten verses, you'll be told that you have to do it Saul's way. Saul says, David, come here. Come into my tent. Look at this armor. I have the best armor in Israel. Take my armor and go fight Goliath. Can you believe that? The man with no courage, the man with no faith, The man that had water in his veins tells David, use my armor. Hello? Are you, it's gonna happen to you. They're gonna tell you, do it my way. You're doing it the wrong way. Let me show you how to be zealous for the Lord. They've never been zealous in their whole lives except the first six months of his kingship. Oh, when I read this passage, it should light you up, brethren. I wanted to show you those four observations of what happens if you try to be like David and say, is there not a cause and stand up for it? What is your Goliath? What is your Goliath? You have more than one. Oh, Lord, show them to us and give us courage to run to meet them, to put five stones in our little shepherd's bag, the script, and let us slay them. And pull their swords out and chop their heads off. We all have them. Lord, help us. Examine yourselves today, brethren. What can you do differently? What can you do all out for the Lord Jesus Christ? We have a new year upon us. Let's pursue God's goals for our lives with greater zeal than ever. Let's notice a couple good things about what happened when David did what he did. When David did what he did... And he stood on Goliath and took Goliath's sword out and cut his head off. The nation of Israel shouted. And they pursued the Philistines and won a great battle. One man 
showing zeal encourages other men to do likewise, and those other men will follow. Is there a zealous man that will run against Goliath that the rest of the church can follow? I hope that we're following each other. Because I pray and have prayed and have prepared that we might all be stirred up. The threat to souls, families, churches is not Islam. No Christians tempted by Islam. It's not Mormonism. No Christians tempted by Mormonism. But do you know what the great temptations are? Compromise and lethargy. Compromise and lethargy. Like the armies of Israel, like Saul and Jonathan. There's only a few sold out Christians left. They're called the remnant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you truly part of the remnant that keep the commandments of God? Lord, there's no other reason to be alive than to be part of that remnant. There is no other reason to be alive. Stop eating this world's agricultural production. Stop breathing our air if you're not going to live all out for the Lord. You're creating too much carbon dioxide. I say that to all of us, including the preacher. Lord, there's no other way. There's no other reason to live but sold out for the Lord's sake. Like David was. Lord, help us to be like that. The average and typical Christian today is lazy, selfish, proud, and devoid of most any spiritual conviction to really do anything that costs them. And if there's no cost, it's not service. David would never let anything be done without cost. Do you remember when he ran to the top of Mount Moriah where the angel sheathed his sword after killing 70,000 Israelites? And Arana came out and said, Listen, use my oxen and use my yoke and, and offer to God. And David said, I'll never do such a thing without paying for it. Now you give me the market price of that stuff and I'll buy it from you right now at market price because I will never worship God without cost. That is David. It's going to cost you. The cause is costly. But oh, and the spending for that cause is the greatest joy you'll ever have in life. The greatest reward. Because you know you're serving the King of Kings. If the Bible is half true, you say, why would you say that in a church? If the Bible is half true, God used these words when I was 19 years old to confront me that if the Bible was half true, it deserved 100% of me. If the Bible is half true, what level of effort do God and His commandments deserve? If it's half true, nothing but the best. Even if it's only half true. Amen. If the Bible is half true, what is your goal for serving God? What is your goal? Greatness, mediocrity, or failure? You need to ask yourselves, am I putting forth the effort the Lord expects? If I lose my soul or a child to the world, will I be at fault? How easy do I take the spiritual threats in my life? How low will I go toward the world? How high will I aim for Christ? How close do I want to get to sin? How far away should I be? What do I expect of my children in light of Scripture? How many of our girls will be like Sarah, Hannah, Abigail, Mary, Anna, Lois, Eunice, Priscilla? That's what we want. We have so many children and youth in this church. Those are the kind of girls we want.
How many of our boys will be like Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Joseph, David, Daniel, John, Paul? Only a few get it anymore. Jesus said in Matthew 24, and I repeat for the second time, the love of many shall wax cold because iniquity abounds. Paul said, they'll be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. They'll have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Only a few get it. The issue is not what we should be doing, but how we should be doing what we already know. You've been told so many times in this church, I've been told so many times in this church of what we should be doing, but how are we going to do it? How much zeal and commitment are we going to apply to it? There is a cause. Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Eliab, why aren't you out there? Is there not a cause? Look at that man. Listen to him. You've put up with that for 40 days? Look at what he's saying. Shut his uncircumcised mouth. Oh, David, yes. His life was like that. But he sinned. And so the Lord put those sins in the Bible and recorded them for us. And some of them were heinous and wild and perverse and vile. Terrible sins. When you kill your best friend for his wife... One of, one of your best friends. But the Lord put that package together for no one to be discouraged. Right. You can confess your sins and He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. And you can still go down in the annals of the hall of faith as a David. Amen. Or as a Gideon. Or as a Samson. Who had their problems, but they had zeal for the Lord when the Spirit of God came upon them. Right. Reading about Samson... You know, he lets the men of Judah tie him up and bind him to deliver him to the Philistines. It's okay, boys. Tighten them up. Get another rope. Run down to the hardware and get a stronger one. Tie me up with that one too. Tighter now. Tighter. Get somebody that's been the Boy Scouts to tie the knots. I want those knots tight. Then he gets near the Philistines and the Spirit of God comes on him. He snaps them off like they were flax. And he kills a thousand with the jawbone of an ass. Until he's exhausted and his hand cramps up holding on to the jawbone. The Lord just wants us to know that. That you might get a cramp from time to time as you're serving the Lord. But a thousand Philistines are scattered around on that battlefield. From the Spirit of God being with him. There is a cause. Most men live without a cause. Their lives are empty of purpose and provide only worm food. The only reason they live is to provide worm food. Getting up for work, providing for their family, and hoping to retire is no more than what animals do. There's a much higher calling for us. And that is to get up every day and to live every day and to go to bed at night to get the energy for the next day of serving the Lord. The rest of men live for causes that are at best nothing but vanity and vexation of spirit. Like the spotted owls of Oregon... World peace, universal literacy, wealth, health, education, and so forth. Those are worthless causes compared to the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, brethren, if Japanese kamikaze pilots would die for an effeminate emperor, an island of rock in a lost cause, then there is overwhelming cause for baptized believers to live for the King of Kings. If they would do it for that cause, surely we can do it for the cause of Christ. If Muslim terrorists blow themselves up for the moon god of the Arabians and an infantile book composed by an illiterate nomad, 
Surely we can live for the Lord of Lords and the Bible that He gave us. If priests and nuns of the Roman Catholic Church take vows of celibacy and poverty for the devilish lies of Roman Catholicism, how much more should we be zealous for the true gospel of Christ? They do it. We should do it. We have a far greater cause than they do. They're following a man in pajamas that sits in Rome that the Bible calls the man of sin, the little horn of Rome. Lord, help us. The greatest of causes is the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and the best thing of all is Jesus Christ. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and the blood that sprinkles from that cross upon men and upon women that are our brothers and sisters in the faith that we should be willing to do anything for. What else is there in life? We get so distracted. There's this limited time every day, this limited time every year, and we waste so much of it pursuing these little things that don't matter. Lord, help us. Paul communicated that zeal to one man. Timothy. Timothy, he could say in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, I have no other man like-minded. Isn't, I'm so glad Paul at least had Timothy that he could say that about him. As a son with the father in this ministry, so Timothy has showed that he cares for the things of the Lord rather than his own things. It's a wonderful testimony and we want to have that. You need to ask yourself, am I in the battle? Or am I ignorant of the battle? Or am I ignoring the battle? Or am I going to let somebody else stand up and do everything? You know, everyone in Israel was hoping someone else would stand up and go fight Goliath. But that means someone needs to stand up and go fight Goliath. Who's going to do it? Who's going to be the best father in this church? Who's going to have the best marriage in this church? Who's going to be the most hospitable in this church? Who's going to be the most forgiving and gracious in this church? You know, there's a cloud of witnesses that I don't have time for, so I'm going to ignore it. I've already given you several. Phinehas, Jehu, Jesus, the widow with two mites, Jesus at 12, Timothy, Paul, and of course David. So let's just ignore the long list of the cloud of witnesses that are watching us. We're in a race, brethren, and the cloud of witnesses are in the stands as we lap that track. All those witnesses are up in heaven. The spirits of just men made perfect, they are looking down. What battle are you fighting, they're asking. Why aren't you running faster? Why are you plotting? Why are you pacing yourself? Why are you distracted and stopping for water breaks every half lap? The cause is glorious because our cause is the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said that that cause constrained him. It was like putting a straitjacket on him. His behavior was so different that he was, he was accused of being beside himself. But he rejoiced in being beside himself. If I'm beside myself, then it's for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's for your sakes that I'm beside myself. He wrote to Christians in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God, this is our cause. We've been bought by the mercies of God. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Are you willing to sacrifice those lusts that 1 Peter chapter 4 told us to give up? That Colossians chapter 3 tells us to mortify and put to the death. We don't get to kill Goliath. We get to kill our own lusts. We get to kill our own desires, our own habits, our own pride, our own selfishness. 
so that we can serve Christ and serve others. There was a family called the family of Stephanus in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 15 that had addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That is a Phinehas. That is a David. That is someone that knows the cause. They addicted themselves. They weren't overcome by something outside themselves. They, by a choice on the inside, chose that they would addict themselves to the ministry of the saints of God. We can do that. You can do that. Oh, the cause is divisive. If you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, divisions are going to be made just like those that followed Jesus had to separate and were separated from the rest of the Israelites. Over and over again, we can read, especially in the Gospel of John, that there was a division among the people because of Him. Because some followed and some hated Him. The cause is individual. God is looking for a man. Look at Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30. I have loved this verse for a long time. But it doesn't matter if I love it. It doesn't matter if you love it. Are we fulfilling it? Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30. The cause is individual. Don't worry about someone else in your pew or someone else in this assembly. You should be examining yourself. Are you a red-hot, all-out, soul-out, pedal-to-the-metal, zealous, fervently affected Christian? And I sought for a man among them. Ezekiel 22 and verse 30. I sought for a man. The Marines may be looking for a few good men, but God isn't. He's looking for a good man. This is, this is precious and it's intimidating, but it's more precious than it is intimidating. You don't need anyone else to be a David. All you need is yourself and enough wits by the Holy Ghost, which we've prayed for today in the back room and in this pulpit and enough wits to know there's a cause that should justify you being a David for the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need anyone else to go there with you. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. That is sick. This is the church. Where were they? They're watching television. They're pursuing their careers. They're worrying about their education. They're pampering their family. They're worrying about their yard. They can't have dandelions in their yard. They're worried about all these things that don't matter to the God of glory. What He wants is a man that's going to make up the hedge and stand in the gap for the land. And that is in, that's a spiritual warfare of defending the nation against their wickedness and sinfulness. Remember the five great men that we have in Ezekiel 14.14 and Jeremiah 15.1. Men like Noah, Job, Moses, Samuel, and Daniel. Five great men isolated and specified by God as having a unique role with Him. He's just looking for one. Any man in here, any woman in here can be one. The cause is exclusive. You're going to have to give up other goals or interests for it. You know, an athlete in 1 Corinthians 9 must be temperate in all things. 
he has to he has to guard what he drinks, eats, sleeps, trains, everything to avoid. He can't have injury. He can't get sick. He's got to be fit every day. He's got to be very careful in order to achieve a gold medal level or world-class level of performance. The Apostle Paul said, they are temperate in all things for a corruptible crown, but we ought to be temperate in all things for a spiritual crown, and the things are different. The things are spiritual. It's ripping off those things that pull down our souls and spirits and offend God. We must deny our ungodly lusts and live soberly and righteously in this present world to be worthy of the cause and to live that cause. It's individual and it's exclusive. You're going to have to get rid of other things. That's why there are places in the Bible that say, if any man's going to follow me, he needs to hate his mother, he needs to hate his father, he needs to hate his sons, needs to hate his daughters, needs to hate his wife, houses, lands, and to get, don't let any of that stuff compete with me or you cannot be my disciple. That's just being a disciple, let alone a leader of the disciples. To be a leader of the disciples, you're like the Apostle Paul, who didn't have a wife at all. Some men make themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And Jesus honored them in Matthew chapter 19. The cause is exclusive. The possibility of living peacefully with this generation is a false hope. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Get ready for it. You don't need all those other things. You don't need to be chasing hobbies. What was the Lord's hobby? To go away at nighttime while His disciples slept and He prayed. Who needs a hobby? You are really weak if you need a hobby. You say, Pastor, is a hobby wrong? No, it's not wrong if you can limit it to an hour a month. But 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 I like four or five hours a day. Well, that's why you're you and David's David. You know, this is a ministerial verse, and I'll always admit that to you, I hope, when we turn to one of the three pastoral epistles. But 2 Timothy 2.4 says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. If you're going to war, you've got to be a committed, disciplined, dedicated soldier. You can't be playing games. It's just like an athlete. See, there's a lot of athletic illustrations that Paul made, and there's a lot of military applications that the Apostle Paul made, and both of them require the same thing. Total, sold out, red hot, all out, pedal to the metal, temperate, disciplined, structured, zealous, fervent, passioned performance. Lord, help us to that end. It doesn't matter whether you're a SEAL or you win the 100 meters in the Olympics. Both men are highly committed to that goal. Much more could be said about all these things. The cause is constant. This is where Jehu fell through. The cause. The cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't have a good month and then bad 11 months. We can't have a good week and then take 51 weeks off. That's what Jehu did. Jehu did do his one week with a great deal of zeal, but then he went right back to idolatry with two golden calves And God brought that back in vengeance on His family. We don't want vengeance on our families. Hold, you will not deceive God. Be not deceived. 
Whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. That inconsistency and hypocrisy by Jehu was brought to bear on his third and fourth generations when they were thrown off the throne of Israel. Lord, help us. The cause is constant. It requires our perseverance in it. You must count up the cost. We don't want a whole bunch of half-built towers in this church. We don't want anyone to see a half-built tower. We want to finish our towers. That means we keep at it every day until the end of life. That we have fulfilled what God expects of a sold-out Christian every day of our lives. And that's why Jesus said, before you follow me, before you get baptized, before you talk to me about wanting to be a disciple, count up the cost. There is a cost in this. Are you willing to pay the price? Every coach has to do that to a high-level athlete. Are you willing to pay the price to be the world champion? Do you understand the amount of pain that I'm going to extract from you in training and self-denial in order to be a world-class athlete? Do you know that? They do it for a corruptible crown. We do it for the God of glory, His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God, His church and kingdom. It's worth it. Lord, help us. We've got to be constant about it. We can't be like Solomon. Solomon's a loser. Solomon's a profane loser. We don't want to be like Solomon in the latter half of his life. He married a thousand women, and those women turned his heart away from God. He was too worried about political marriages and seeing how many princesses he could get in his database for his phone app at night before he went to bed. The cause is pervasive. It affects every part of your life. Listen to me. Loving the brethren is not a nice concept. It's an order of the King of Kings. Are you sold out to it? Are you David? You say, well, that person is just a Goliath. All right. Thank you for listening to me so far today. That person over there is just a Goliath to me. I don't want to love them. I won't love them. Then that's your Goliath. Go love them. It's an order from the King of Kings. Do you know why we should go to work? It's not to get the praise of men. It's to have a little bit more to give to the things of the kingdom of heaven. Ephesians 4.28 Every young man ought to learn that. That the highest reason, the most important reason, to earn a big salary and to have a wise career trajectory is to have more to give to the cause of Christ. You say, where is that in the Bible? I just told you. Do you want me to remind you? Ephesians 4.28 And then remember the widow with the two mites. She knew the cause. We want to do better than two mites. Hospitality is not a burden or an expense, but a blessed privilege for Christ. Didn't we just learn that in 1 Peter 4.9? Show hospitality one to another without grudging. Let's not grudge it. This is the cause. What's the cause? Keeping a body of believers that Jesus Christ put together here as part of your church keeping them tightly knit together, loving each other, knowing about each other, praying for each other, living for the cause of Christ, encouraging themselves toward Christ, that is the cause of the local church. And you're part of one. And so through the New Testament, many of the things that are written are for your relationship, your one another relationships toward those other church members. 
Forgiving others to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's a powerful cause that we've been given by the Lord Jesus Christ. These are things that you've heard so many times. That's why I said, it is not that you need to learn what to do. You need to be reminded of how to do it. A coach at halftime, when he finds his team down a little in an important game, does not go in there and teach them, you need to tackle. This is how you catch the ball. They've been taught all that. They are told, dig down a little deeper and do it for some noble cause. The coach will inv- will invoke just about anything that he can think of. You know, do it for the gipper. And so we come together into the house of the Lord to open the Word of God and see David say, is there not a cause? And if you've got a pulse, if you've got a pulse spiritually, that should rouse you. And then the more you read around it and you see Eliab picking on him and you see Saul's fearfulness, oh, David, go for it. Then you read about Phinehas, you read about Jehu in his early career, and you read about the Lord Jesus Christ and these other men, it should provoke you. We want to forgive others to, to unite this church. We want to have a great delight in singing because the Bible tells us that because the cause is noise that is pleasing to God by singing. We want giving. Giving should be our first fruits. It should be done liberally. It should be done cheerfully. And it's for the cause. It's not for us to enjoy any luxury. It's for the cause. The cause of Christ and His church and the spread of His gospel. We should have zeal for the best of men. Who are our friends? Who are your friends? Who do you spend time with? Boy, David was very careful about his selection of friends. In Psalm 101, verses 3 through 8, which are six verses, he describes the kind of people that he wanted around him. Brother, this is very important. It's one of the five inputs. Who are your friends that you're around every day? Because for the cause of Christ, we want to encourage them, and we want them to encourage us, lest we be pulled down by hanging around the typical average Christian, which is not, who is not sold out. We want to devour the Bible to meet God every day, to feed ourselves, and to be able to help others by having His words in our mouths, the certain words of truth. We want to spread it. We want to spread the cause. We want to spread the glory of God. We want to conduct ourselves in such a way. 1 Peter 2.11 Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 We want to be the light of the world. We We don't get a light and then put a bushel over it. We don't get a light and put it under our bed. We get a light and we put it on a hilltop. We want to be like Andrew who went and found Peter. Who have you gone and found recently? Who are you digging for? Who are you working for? We want to be like Philip who went and found Nathaniel. We want to be like Aquila and Priscilla who went and found Apollos and sat through that long service of preaching heresy and said, would you come home with us? We've got some filet mignon left over from a recent recent foray in the marketplace, and we'd like to grill it for you. And so Apollos says, I haven't had filet in a few weeks. And he goes home with Aquila and Priscilla, and they explain to him the way of God more perfectly. If you don't have a passion for the individual souls of others, you're not like David, you're not like Jesus, you're not like Paul. Two commandments to our religion, and and they're, they're simple the love of God, and the love of neighbor. Church attendance. How important is it for you to be here? 
it should be incredibly important. Right. It should be painfully important, wonderfully important, however you want to describe it. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in His temple. Yeah. Psalm 27 and verse 4. You know, everything that I've taught you, everything that we have learned together, the issue in this sermon is just simple. Is there a cause? We have one cause, and it should dominate our lives. And that one cause, I know I've described it several different ways. It's the glory of God, the exaltation of Jesus Christ, the furtherance of His Word and truth, and a holy life and the church that He has given us. There's five aspects of it. Your training, training children is not just a good idea. It is for one purpose. It's not to get them an education. It's not to give them three squares a day. That's not in the Bible. How do you know that five squares aren't better than three? Or how do you know that two aren't better than three? Do you know what you're supposed to teach them? The nurture and admonition of the Lord. That means God admonishing them for everything they do that is contrary to His Word. That's what's important. We, we need another Samuel. We need another Timothy. And both of those men came into being by the influence of their mothers and grandmothers upon them. Right. We need another Priscilla. Prayer is a powerful thing. You're, you're supposed to watch and pray like Jesus asked Peter and Peter couldn't perform. But we want to watch because we want to be vigilant for the cause and pray against any adversity from the outside, from the inside, that would take away our glory as a church of Jesus Christ. Fathers, remember how Abraham and Joshua fulfilled their cause? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And all that's implied in the way that I said that is exactly how Joshua said it. And it's exactly how Abraham said it. After he had those six sons by his third wife, Keturah, do you know what he did? He gave him a few matchbox cars and shipped them off 500 miles to get them away from his son that he loved. Go read about it in the Bible. Amen. Sentimentality for DNA is ridiculous. I know Abraham, that he will command his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Amen. Genesis 18, 19, what a great father Abraham was. And see, is there a cause to be a good father? Is there a cause to be a good wife? You want wives. You want to honor and glorify God by having a God-glorifying marriage and shut the mouths of all these enemies of the gospel around us. Exalt your marriage by loving your husband more than anyone else in the assembly. Fulfill your duties as a wife towards your husband for the glory of Jesus Christ, for the furtherance of His gospel, for the defense of His word, for the shutting of the mouths of our adversaries. Do you know how you can shut the mouth of Goliath? It's to love your husband who's a Goliath in your life. Because he may be moody. Because he may be critical. Because he may not be affectionate. Because he may be picky. Because he may be this, he may be that, he may be this, he may be that. He's your Goliath. Go shut his mouth and turn him, in, turn him into a loving man by being a loving wife. Everyone has a Goliath. It looks intimidating. I don't think it'll work. Well, that's what Saul told David. David didn't care. I'm going to go down there and do it with my bare hands and a little sling and a smooth stone. And we can do it. You know, it doesn't matter what we bring up. There's a cause. Is there a cause not to cremate our dead? There is a cause. Because God wants them buried. 
from it doesn't matter what testament you're in from the beginning of Genesis to the end he wants them buried so we bury our dead we don't cremate them we don't burn them up like Hindus it doesn't matter that it costs a little bit more to bury them what does cost have to do with righteousness when did it ever matter everything that we can think of Lord help us oh brethren let your marriages be a tower for godliness a battering ram against sin who's going to have the best marriage in the church Okay, we just had the bar set. Lord, help us. We want to honor rulers for Him. Do you know why? Because they're His representatives. They're His ministers for good. They're His ambassadors. So we honor rulers. And we do it with zeal. And we do it with excitement. And we do it consistently. And we do it with perseverance. Of course they're going to do things that irritate us. So what? God's in charge of them all. Let's rejoice in the fact that we have a God that's in charge of our nation and He's manipulating it like a man does a marionette. Every one of these patriot, conspiratorialists, conservatives, whatever you want to call them, that I've had to read since I was about six or seven years old, you know, none of their prophecies have ever come to pass. We've had more liberty and more prosperity in the last 50 years than they could even imagine in the 50 years leading up to that. After all, they were the ones that caused the Great Depression. Then they want to tell us that it's going to get worse. It's been wonderful. Do you know why? Because there's a God in heaven. And He overrules everything that they're doing down here that is stupid. Wicked. Malicious. Many times they don't know better. Sometimes they do know better. But it doesn't matter. In either case, God's in charge of them all. Amen. And he's worth, it's worth trusting in that matter. He has legislated sex. You keep it according to His rules and His rules only. Right. Modesty. He's ordained it. Speech. Your words should always be gracious. Music can be your Goliath. The internet might be your Goliath. Your money might be your Goliath. You can defeat these things by the grace of God. Everything is the Lord's. Right. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Everything is your cause. Let's do everything as if we were a trained athlete, a soldier with a great mission, a son of the Lord Jesus Christ. The cause has consequences. If you'll lose your life for Him, you'll find it. The happiest people are those that have given up the most. You say, well, that just sounds like they'd be terribly unhappy if they gave up the... Oh, no, you don't understand. God replaces the junk that they gave up, the soap bubbles of this world. God replaces them with true riches, and that's what they're called in the Bible. Amen. If you lose your life for His cause, you'll find it. David lost his life for the cause of God, and did he find it? He got to write all those psalms. It's not fair. He got to write all those psalms. He got to write the music for the psalms, and he got to invent the musical instruments for the psalms. God blessed David greatly. David died a very rich man, though he gave away the largest sum of money recorded in the Bible for the building of the temple. How could that happen? Because our God doesn't operate by Harvard Business School rules. You know, God of heaven calls those who mind earthly things belly worshipers. Your zeal can provoke others. Your zeal can save others. Any father in here can save his family tree by being zealous for the Lord Jesus Christ. According to the example of Scripture, that the seed of the righteous will be blessed. 
David was so righteous. You say, he's a sinner. David was so righteous that God said to him, I will never let your lamp be put out. If your children sin, I will pound them, but I will never take my mercy away from you. Solomon did what he did. Rehoboam did what he did. And still there continued on that line of David. Many foolish and wicked kings, but that line continued on because God had said, I will never take it away from David. And at this hour, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of David, sits on the throne of glory. Zeal brings God's blessing. You know, I don't even want to talk about God. Who cares? Who Do we really need God to bless us if we live all out for Him? Hold on, Mark. Do we really need God to bless us if we live all out for Him? No, we don't really need that. It's a nice icing on the cake. But see, David didn't really care that he would get Saul's daughter, that he would be made rich, and that his father would have a tax-exempt farm. That David mentioned that because he thought that at least that should have got some soldier courageous enough to go down and fight Goliath for the thought of this. David wanted to go down and fight Goliath for a different thought. I want to shut his stinking mouth. He's blaspheming my God. But the Lord is the Lord is so good. If you'll honor your parents, which is a cause. If you'll honor your parents, which is a cause, there's a blessing attached. When there shouldn't have to be. It takes five minutes of thinking about what parents do with little babies and what happens to mommy's bodies by giving birth to those little babies. It takes five minutes to understand there is a cause for which I should honor my parents. But you know what? God says if you honor your parents, which there's already a cause for without his commandment, but there is his commandment, I'll bless you with long life and good life. Is that, is he good? Delight thyself also in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. We shouldn't even need the second half of the verse. Let's just delight ourselves in the Lord and let's do it like David. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.